Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. It's April 20th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. A good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I have four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First, breaking news out of Washington, D.C. An IRS agent is saying this morning that Hunter Biden is getting preferential treatment in the government's investigation of his likely tax crimes. I'll explain. Second, the FBI is telling people that if you don't want your, say, phone or computer to be hacked, you should not be charging your devices in some very specific places. I'll tell you where those are. Third, farmers in Colorado will soon have the right to repair their tractors and combines. I'll share with you, though, why, as of right now, they can't. Finally, the nations of Honduras and El Salvador are cracking down on gangs. And that might lead to fewer people trying to get into America illegally. I'll explain the connection. Later, we close out the right report with a, well, it's a cranky email from a listener who wishes that I wouldn't complain about having covid which I do, and apologies again for my throat and voice, but nevertheless, he's telling me this is a Jared in Topeka that, come on, Brian, it is nothing more than a cold. All right, I will give him my response. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. The family of Joe Biden is getting preferential treatment from America's tax investigators. At least that's the allegation that was levied yesterday by a senior IRS official who is seeking whistleblower protections from Congress. So here's what we know with some background to this breaking news as reported by the Wall Street Journal and CBS News late last night. So two years ago, the Department of Justice opened a criminal investigation into Hunter Biden related to his taxes and making a false statement in connection with a gun purchase. Well, the FBI has apparently found sufficient evidence to charge Hunter with these tax crimes anyway, which, by the way, could include other members of his family, such as his father, Joe. Well, that evidence was turned over to the U.S. attorney in Delaware last year. That's according to CBS News and The Wall Street Journal. But since then, we've heard nothing, no announcements. So the question is, why is that? Well, there has been plenty of speculation. Critics point to his father, Joe, of course, controlling the White House and by extension, the federal government. In other words, the suggestion here is that Hunter is being protected. Well, late yesterday, an attorney representing a senior IRS agent is saying that, yes, that's actually probably true. In fact, his client can prove it with, quote, detailed examples of preferential treatment and politics regarding the Hunter Biden tax investigation, which have improperly infected decisions and protocols, end quote. The attorney made the allegations in a public letter issued to both Democrats and Republicans on Capitol Hill, asking them for whistleblower protections so that his client can speak under oath about what the senior IRS agent knows. 
So we'll see if, in fact, those protections are offered to the agent. But meanwhile, the chairman for the House Committee for Oversight and Accountability is saying that these latest allegations probably help explain why there has been no movement on the Hunter Biden case. Quote, it appears that the Biden administration may have been working overtime to prevent the Bidens from facing any consequences. End quote. That is from James Comer, who is a Republican from Kentucky. Meanwhile, Democrats on Capitol Hill are not saying much of anything as of this morning. We'll see if that changes later today. But no matter what, this is not going to come as welcome news to the White House, as you would probably imagine, in part because according to a pullout yesterday from Reuters News, Joe Biden's approval numbers are at 39 percent, which is near his record low of 36 percent. So that's the latest on this ongoing saga of Well, frankly, not only Hunter Biden, but his family members, too, to include possibly Mr. Joe Biden himself. The allegation here is that, well, secretly he profited from his son's foreign business deals. Right. Again, that is the allegation that has been documented as likely based on the laptop that Hunter Biden abandoned years ago in Delaware and has since been turned over to the FBI. So with that, let me now offer up this one piece of analysis and opinion. If this IRS agent is correct, it would confirm, well, the cynics in all of us that they are right, right? That as we say in this country, no one is above the law unless you're powerful and you have a lot of money. And then, well, you might just be a little bit above the law. And all politics aside, that is just an absolute disaster, right? Because no country is a country for very long if there are two sets of laws, one for the powerful and the elite and one for everybody else, because eventually the everybody else rises up against the, uh, the people who get the favors and the privilege. Regardless, folks, I'm going to keep you posted on this one because it is very consequential for the future of the country. Let's now move on to our second brief of the morning, folks. And actually, let's keep talking about those investigators at the FBI because they're giving us some advice this morning. Their agents in Colorado are warning Americans not to use public charging stations for their phones and computers because hackers can use your power cords to hack your device. All right, so here are those details. Last week, the FBI's field office in Denver issued a warning to people about something called juice jacking. And here's how it works. So hackers start by targeting public charging stations at places like airports and hotels. You've probably seen those stands, right? Sometimes they've got multiple cords hanging off of them. Sometimes it's just a a jack to plug your device into. Well, hackers can then secretly add these little tiny devices to those machines, or they replace the cords with uh, their own cords, which have these hidden data wires wrapped next to the power wire, and you will not see that. Well, then each time that someone like you plugs in a phone or a laptop to that charging station or that cable, well, your device gets hacked or infected with some kind of malware. And that could lead to your device being, say, hacked for ransom, or they might try to track your device wherever you travel, or perhaps they might download sensitive data like passwords or photos. But the bottom line is that they will just, well, generally make your life miserable. And by the way, This is not just about hackers, right? Governments do this too. Hypothetically, I've heard, especially in key airports. But anyway, so what is the advice that I might give you? 
Well, this problem, folks, is actually pretty easy to solve. Do not use free charging stations in airports or hotels or shopping centers. Carry your own charger and your own power or USB cord and make sure you use an electrical outlet that's preferably on the wall or the floor, not on one of those charging stands. Because otherwise you you might get juice jacked, which kind of sounds like something a bodybuilder would do. But anyway, I digress. And that, that, folks, actually takes us to our third brief of the morning. We are now going to pivot from computer security to food security. And it has to do with the right of farmers and ranchers to repair their own equipment. And for this one, let's actually do something fun. Let's have a thought experiment, all right? I want you to imagine that you are a farmer. You're a a wheat farmer. And it's August, and that means it's harvest time. So you pull out your combine, and you get it greased up and ready to go. And on day one of harvest, you turn that key to get things going, and, uh, well, nothing. It it won't start. Which, uh, I can tell you coming from a farming and ranching family... (laughs) Day one of harvest, uh, something always goes wrong. But, all right, my dear farmer, what do you do next with your dead combine? Well, if your answer is you pull out your toolbox and you repair it, well, not so fast. Because if you have a modern combine or a tractor or most any other modern piece of farm equipment, odds are that the manufacturer of that combine is not going to let you repair it yourself. You see, companies like, say, John Deere, say that their proprietary software might get hacked or their corporate secrets are somehow stolen if you, the farmer, works on it. So they require owners, the farmers, the ranchers, to call up a certified John Deere technician to go out into the field and fix the problem, you know, then and there. Okay, that's fine, but John Deere will charge you around 150 bucks an hour, depending on the dealership and the part of the country. And just to be clear, that's on top of the $750,000 that you probably paid for your combine. So this situation has enraged farmers for a number of years now. They've long wanted the right to repair their own equipment, not only because of the expense or or even the principle of it, but also because dealer mechanics can be pretty tough to come by. If you are in the middle of harvest and your combine goes down, like we just mentioned in our thought experiment, Well, what happens if you can't get a mechanic to come fix your equipment? Well, it means that you can't get your crop to market. In other words, no mechanic means no money. Well, late last week, farmers in Colorado got some bipartisan support to fix that issue. No no pun intended. Reuters News Service reports that the Colorado House and Senate just passed the Consumer Right to Repair Agriculture Equipment Act. So that means that Colorado will become the first state in the nation to allow farmers to fix their own modern equipment legally. So to get into the details here of this act, starting on January 1st of 2024, companies like John Deere will be required to provide farm equipment owners with the diagnostic tools, the software documents, and the repair manuals for their combines and tractors. These same documents and tools also have to be made available to independent technicians. Well, for what it's worth, the ag companies like John Deere are not happy with this law. They say that farmers might choose to override certain safety or emissions control systems, plus all that intellectual property could get hacked and stolen too. 
All right. Well, that said, the bill does say that farmers and mechanics are not allowed to make any modifications to the, these functions related to either of the, the safety or the emissions control systems. So, all in all, there you have it. The right to repair movement is underway in America, making a whole lot of farmers pretty happy this morning. Ah, and one last thing to offer you as an interesting side note to this story. There are a number of growing farmers and ranchers in this country who have decided that they just don't even want to mess with modern farm equipment at all. So actually, they're snapping up tractors and combines that were made in the 1970s and 80s. According to the Minneapolis Star Tribune, there have been some pretty aggressive bidding wars for this old stuff. Farmers say that even with the advanced age, these tractors and combines are still much cheaper than the modern stuff easier to fix, and they can still be modified if you want to. One guy that they interviewed installed a piece of self-driving technology on his 1979 John Deere tractor. So to all my farmers and ranchers out there, I tip my hat to you this morning. Thank you for the food and the hard work. Let me know if this right to repair movement is helping you in your business. BrianDeanWright.com is the website. You can send me an email from there. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. Now, most of you likely won't hear any ads over the next few minutes, so enjoy the ad-free experience, and we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning. We're now going to pivot from domestic news to events happening around the world. And this morning, we're going to focus on the Central American countries of Honduras and El Salvador. And the upshot, folks, is that they are tossing out their constitutions in hopes of cracking down on crime, which, while that's not necessarily a great trade, could mean more peace at home in those countries and less illegal migration to America. So let's dive into this story with this sobering statistic. Last year, the United States had a record number of illegal border crossers, right? Over two million encounters by the U.S. Border Patrol officials. According to the Council on Foreign Relations, about 550,000 of those 2 million, in other words, around 25%, were from the countries of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, oftentimes referred to as the Northern Triangle. Now, trying to stop or slow illegal migrants from those countries has been really, really tough. Right? They are all deeply corrupted nations, riddled with crime, infested with gangs, and not surprisingly, not a lot of great economic opportunities for those folks. But things are starting to change in two of those three countries. So let's focus first on Honduras. According to local press reports and some stuff recently from Reuters News Service, the government in Honduras announced an extension of a national security emergency from now through May 21st. The president has authorized over 20,000 police to crack down on gangs operating in two key cities, the capital of Tegucigalpa and San Pedro Sula. And let me give you an example of why the president of Honduras is doing this. All right? The gangs in control of those two cities that I just mentioned, right, or I should say parts of those cities, these gangs demand protection payments from people and businesses. In other words, if you pay, you're protected. And if you don't, well, you're going to get hurt, right? In other words, it's, it's extortion, and it is big business. The country's key media outlet called the Herald Newspaper has estimated that these payments cost citizens around $700 million annually. 
And that extortion is what President Castro of Honduras has been trying to address since she first issued the national emergency late last year. So, so far, results are not fully in about how successful this is, but preliminary data show some pretty good signs of progress, at least by one set of data. There have been 356 fewer homicides this year as compared to the same period from last year. But there is a cost, right? Police can arrest people in Honduras and search homes without warrants or due process. And the government has largely shut down the right to peaceful assembly. I should also tell you this. The president, this Castro, is a socialist who faces credible allegations of corruption. Meanwhile, her husband, who is a former president of the country as well, he also faces allegation of corruption levied, of course, by the U.S. government. So the upshot, folks, is that people in Honduras, it appears, are giving up their civil liberties in exchange for law and order. And it might be working, at least initial indicators. But if it works, a more peaceful Honduras could mean a more stable Honduras, which could also then result in fewer Hondurans leaving the country illegally for America. All right, so that's Honduras. Let's now talk about the neighboring country of El Salvador, where that country's president, a man named Nayid Bukele, declared a state of emergency last March to deal with these same gangs in his country, too. So he calls it the Territorial Control Plan. And within two weeks of announcing this plan last year, he arrested over 13,000 alleged gang members. A year later, that number is up to 60,000. All right, so what's the result been? Well, unquestionably, crime has dropped, and I mean dramatically. As reported by the New York Times and a local newspaper called El Faro, data show that the number of murders and extortion payments have absolutely plummeted. For the first time in years, people in certain sections of the capital of San Salvador can go out regardless of the time, day or night. They're now enjoying sidewalk cafes and parks without being shot or robbed. Well, not surprisingly, that has made President Bukele a very popular man. He's got a, a, an approval rating of 90%. <laughs> That's 9-0, give or take a point or two. And yet, just like in Honduras, the Bukele plan and the president himself have critics. Right? Of the 60,000 people who have been arrested, some innocent people have been imprisoned too. In fact, the vice president of El Salvador has admitted as much, saying that more than 5,000 people were accidentally put behind bars, although they were eventually released. The vice president was asked about it, and he, uh, well, he, he described it as, quote, a margin of error, end quote. All right, there you have it, folks. Those are the facts and data this morning coming out of Honduras and El Salvador. So I want to offer you one final piece of analysis and opinion here. So it is unquestionably true that these countries are getting safer. There is increasing law and order. But there's also clearly a cost to the constitutional rights of the people. But that doesn't matter. At least for 90% of people in El Salvador, they are willing to make that trade. But there is one very important pickle that you should know about. Right? What happens in 10 to 20 years when these gang members are scheduled to get out? Because that is the plan. Well, actually, we, we already have a pretty good sense of what is to likely come because El Salvador actually did this same type of crackdown back in the early 2000s, right? They, they threw 20 to 30,000 gang members into prison and yeah, crime fell then too. But then the prisoners were eventually freed. 
And once they got back out onto the streets, the gang members, well, they just went back to gangbanging, right? Plus, they recruited a new generation of gang members inside the prison. So ultimately, the problem just grew, right? The prisons became incubators for future crime, which is what he's jailing right now, at least in El Salvador. So I think that you can fairly argue here that both countries are enjoying a sort of a short-term reprieve, and that is great. But they've got to make some tough decisions, like keep these men in prison for life or find some sort of way to rehabilitate them when they get out, which I don't think is likely. Because otherwise, if you don't do one of those two things, these men are going to be getting out onto the streets and they're going to be creating havoc once more, both in these Central American countries and in countries like ours. At any rate, it's something to be mindful of. But for now, things are improving. And it might mean for you and every other American who are worried about illegal migration, we could have fewer people trying to cross into America illegally, all because these places are safer. So I'll keep you posted on whether that's true or not based on the data that we see from our southern border, especially in about three weeks' time when Title 42s expires on the nation's southern border. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this next break, which will be ad-free, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. So yesterday I shared with you all that my otherwise nasty cold, well, it turns out uh, it's a nasty case of the old COVID. So sharing that with you all, I got a few emails from different people, lots of strong opinions about COVID and getting it. Well, Jared in Topeka, Kansas, he wrote in saying, uh, well, just a couple little sentences. I'll just tell you what he said. Quote, Brian, I love the show, but please stop complaining about having COVID. It's a cold, nothing more. End quote. Okay, Jared, I, I really appreciate the note and your point. And I would offer you this. You are absolutely right to say that for the vast majority of people who have had COVID, which data show, by the way, is about 100% of us at this point, it is a relatively modest disease. Around 1% to 5% of us uh, end up hospitalized, and the vast majority of those folks are unfortunately uh, obese. And that, by the way, is what we typically consider to be normal for most viruses. But then there are these outliers, sort of medical weirdos like me, right? You see, I, well, I don't know if I've shared this publicly, but the first and only time that I ever got COVID was in December of 2020. And after a 10-day period of feeling, well, blah, I thought I was like, you know, everybody else. I was in the clear with some good old natural immunity. And that's true. I did. I got some great natural immunity. But then an artery in my upper neck started to split apart. It was a, a spontaneous dissection, they say, probably caused by some sort of inflammatory process kicked off by my body's response to COVID. Now, thankfully, I found a great neurosurgeon who patched me back up. And after a period of time to recover, I am fine, except for the incredibly ridiculous medical bills. So, yes, Jared, the data absolutely support you in saying that for the overwhelming majority of people, especially kids, COVID is no big deal. It's a nasty cold, more or less. Now, will that be true for me this time around? Fingers crossed. If not, I've got a good surgeon. But, you know, come to think of it, 
I just need an address in Beijing to send the medical bills to, which, uh, well, based on the uh, the first uh, brief I gave you this morning, maybe I should give Hunter Biden a call. I hear uh, I hear he's got some good connections there. All right, I'm getting sassy. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.